It's time to rock your midlife with Dr. Ellen Albertson. Are you ready to get real, break through, and learn how to make your midlife the best time of your life? Take on those life challenges and turn them into opportunities? Let's rock. Here's Dr. Ellen. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife. Dr. Ellen here, the Midlife Whisperer. I am thrilled that you are here. If you are a new listener, welcome. And if you're returning, I'm so glad to have you here. We have people all over the world. We have people from the Philippines, China, Russia, found somebody from Japan this week, Europe, Canada, of course, the U.S., even Africa, all over the globe. Just women who are looking to rock their midlife. And today's show is super powerful. I am so excited because we're going to be talking about reclaiming your story, renewing your well-being, and becoming unapologetically powerful, prosperous, and peaceful. So I have a question for you. Are you ready to reclaim your story? It's the beginning of the new year, time to rewrite our story. Would you like to become unapologetically you? Do you want to renew your health and well-being? Well, today's show is for you. I'm talking with two amazing women who will share how changing your story and your self-concept can transform you, your health, and your life. My guests are best-selling author, Oshara Shuna, who empowers people to lead fearless, fulfilled, and enlightened lives, and registered nurse, wellness coach, inspirational speaker, and author, Dr. Cherry, Carrie Jarnanowski. It's going to be an empowering, life-affirming show that will help you rock your midlife. So I want to talk a little bit about narrative and your story, because each of us has a personal narrative. You know, to make sense of the world, we tell ourselves all kinds of stories about what's happening in our lives, the other people in our lives, who we are. You know, sometimes we're the heroine, the hero. Other times we may be the villain and even maybe the victim. Yet too often we get trapped in our stories and the paradigm of the character we've created. And that places limitations on who we are and what we can achieve. And these stories can trap us into behaving in ways that hold us back and create negative interactions with those around us. I'd love to say that we perceive the world as we are. It's so true that when we have a certain story, that really impacts how we see the world. On the flip side, telling positive stories can be very freeing. It can help you make big mental and emotional shifts so that you can become the heroine, the hero of your own journey, which of course is this wonderful idea from Joseph Campbell that we all are on this journey. So today's story is really going to help you make that powerful shift. I know at midlife, so many women are like, oh my God, I'm stuck. I'm at midlife. I don't know who I am anymore. And it's really this chrysalis time which is this incredible opportunity to rewrite your story, to decide who I want to be, to take everything you've learned and turn this into this beautiful kind of a bouillabaisse, this incredible stew to become that butterfly. So if you're feeling kind of stuck, I invite you to grab a cup of tea, grab a journal, because our guests today are going to give you really powerful tools that are going to help you rewrite your story and really transform holistically using your mind, your body, your heart, and your spirit. First, we are talking to Acharya Shuna. She is a truth teller who facilitates authenticity, self-remembrance, and divine feminine pathways to awakening within. 
She is the first female head of her 2,000-year-old Indian spiritual lineage. She reinterprets and recontextualizes ancient teachings for modern times, empowering people everywhere to lead fearless, fulfilled, and enlightened lives. She is president of Awakened Self Foundation and the founder of Vedic Global Inc. in California. And she is the author of the best-selling books, Eurovedic Lifestyle Wisdom and Sovereign Self. I'm reading her new book. It's called Roar Like a Goddess. Uh, Every Woman's Guide to Becoming Unapologetically Powerful, Prosperous, and Peaceful. It is amazing. I am off to Costa Rica in a couple of weeks, taking it with me. Highly recommend it. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Shuna. So awesome to have you here. Thank you. What a beautiful start. So much energy. All the midlife parts of me are just singing right right now. Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. You're in harmony, right? And that's one of my, you know, passions in life is just to get women at midlife to realize how incredibly powerful we are, which I think is really what your book is about, is reclaiming our divine goddess selves. So before we dig in to the book, let's talk about first, what inspired you to write this book? I think it was time and I was tired of being tired. And uh, I had seized something profound within me through the goddess stories that I had grown up with in India. And these stories were of these really courageous goddesses who were um, who were not accommodating to life, but they were making life change and transform based on what they wanted to see happen. And I was done worshiping these goddesses. I wanted to become those goddesses. And uh, I think those stories got into my DNA, Ellen. And that's how this book was born, uh, from my own journey, from, from, from being probably overly accommodating to being someone who is just me and boldly me, peacefully me, happily me. Yeah, so powerful. I know I really identified in the book too because I was in a difficult marriage. I think that a lot of us sort of buy into this story of the way our life is supposed to look, how we're supposed to behave, and then we, you know, are kind of climbing this ladder of success, doing all the things we think we're supposed to be. We get to the top and we're like, I don't like the view up here. I don't feel like me. So was there a pivotal moment where you just decided like enough is enough or was it more like a gradual journey where you started to gradually embody this goddess energy that you talk about in the book? I think every day women worldwide have an enough is enough moment. So I've had uh, that moment every day of my life, but I think it was ultimately a gradual transformation because we think that we have transformed enough, but there's more work to be done, realistically speaking. And the work I have done with Roar Like a Goddess is not just for me. It's not just about my personal liberation, which I believe I, I, I achieved maybe a decade or so earlier than writing this book. This is now about everybody's voice. This is about everyone who has ever been disempowered, not just women, but people of non-binary fluid genders or even men, because on our planet today, there can still be a systemic degeneration of power and uh, inequality can thrive in different ways, subtle and obvious ways. And that's why writing Roar Like a Goddess was really a culmination of me, not only now thriving with a new way of being 
like a goddess, but now wanting everyone to roar. And I compare the roar to the authentic voice, the voice that is not angry, nor is it a victim, is just plain and simple being. It's there. It's authentic. It's kind, but it's bold and real and uncompromising. Yeah, I love that. And it reminds me, I'm a big fan. I talk a lot about self-compassion. And uh, one of my mentors, Kristen Neff, she's written a book called Fear Self-Compassion. It's this idea that part of self-compassion, part of advocating being your own best friend is being fierce, being like that mama bear and saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm going to roar. I see injustice that isn't good. I see, you know, I'm not going to take it anymore. You know, and you say in your book, it's time for all women to come out of the closet and roar with all of their spiritual power. What do you mean by that? And why do you say that? Well, I observed my own voice. I'm a spiritual teacher and we we observe the contents of our own mind. We observe our speech, its modulations. We are our best object to survey under our own spiritual microscope. And I saw how my voice would change based on the cultural conditioning of the person I was talking to. And I realized that ultimately, ultimately I was... I was pandering to a culture that didn't want me to hear my voice. And then when I went looking for my voice, Ellen, I couldn't find it. It had become deformed and morphed and conditioned and, 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 and cosmetized uh, to the needs of the culture I was um, engaging with, whether I was in a more traditional culture in India or a more contemporary culture in America, everywhere my voice had to have a superficial glaze to it to be to be allowed and to be able to be even recognized as the voice. Uh, everything was a bit unreal for a while. And in that numbing silence and this grief of losing my real voice and not even knowing what it is, I had to go looking and I realized that Actually, I was not having real conversations with any woman out there, whether they were CEOs or whether they were renowned ballerinas or stay-at-home moms, whether they were wearing Prada or they were wearing village clothes, it didn't matter. There was a glaze to it. And that was the patriarchal glaze, which the woman had somehow, um, we, we women are nuanced to make it happen. And then I had to like uh, accept the fact that despite my um, the fact that I come from a renowned lineage and I have a somewhat privileged life and I have students worldwide, I don't have my voice. And what is my voice? And the search for that ended up in me finding not only the voice, but a roar that accompanies that voice. It's uncompromising. It's not willing to be quiet. Uh, it does not care if you call me a nag hag <laughs> or any other more colorful word. It's my voice and it's making a difference in the world. And I respect it deeply. Wow, that's so amazingly powerful. I think what happens to us is it's almost like I feel like 
you know, that like a, a shell comes over us and we're told we have to fit into this mold and we kind of get comfortable in that mold and that's how we behave and to have that courage. Do you have suggestions for courage, which is a path apart? If someone's listening and they say, this sounds really good, but like, how do I break free of this mold that's told me that I have to show up and be the certain way? Maybe we can get a little bit into that goddess energy. What is goddess energy and how do we use it to break out, to roar? I think this is where I use the goddess archetypes to to break out of the mold and you 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 set it just right that we're so habituated with it and it keeps showing up and we may think we're not using the mold but we're still in some kind of a mold. I I do want to say before I talk about the goddesses that we had to allow for a period of grieving around this loss of uh, um, our identity around the patriarchal identities that we were wearing and flashing. And finding this numb, hollow place within us is important so that we can feel the grief, the anger, and, uh, and the pain of all of this. And, and, and then if you would, if, if, goddess archetypes such as those from the Vedic Hindu tradition of Durga, Lakshmi and Saraswati were available as they were to me, then I put them to good use because I saw these goddesses as bold, empowered, uh, sassy, sexual, passionate, yet mothering and um, uh, beautiful, joyful, liberated women. And I and I and I saw and I'd grown up in a culture where we venerate them, but I didn't want to venerate them. I wanted to bring them down a few notches towards earth, and I wanted to uplift these earthly women, such as myself, up a few notches, so we could have a union between the woman and the goddess. And um, and I think I accomplished that. What would you say in the book? Yeah, I I would think so as well. You make them, you know, very real, very accessible, but then you also empower the reader to connect with that part of themselves that we have. And, and it doesn't, as you said, it doesn't, it's not about the way you express your gender in the world. Men can connect with a goddess um, energy just as people who are in female bodies can connect with the the male archetype. So yes, I think you do a great job of kind of uniting with the goddess by bringing the goddess down a notch and bringing the reader up a notch. So let's talk about what exactly is goddess energy and who are the three goddesses that you highlight in Roar Like a Goddess? In the Vedic Hindu tradition that I come from, and um, and I'm a teacher of that tradition, we recognize that beyond the human species, there can be other um, and, uh, ex- forms of existence which are more superior. On Earth itself, we can see graded uh, forms of intelligence from less to more. In the same way, there can be a superior existence known as the god-goddess existence. And the goddess is has powers which are akin to the powers of our own higher self. So we don't have to really go far in some geographically remote location beyond the clouds to look for the goddess. We can simply meditate and become intent in finding that power or that existence within us. So metaphorically speaking, we are all sleeping goddesses, men, women, and uh, those of the other genders. and 
when we listen to certain stories which are encouraging, as you had mentioned in your introduction, that there can be some positive stories that really bring a positive change in us. So these stories are empowering and encouraging and they're symbolic and they open mystical locks within us, the stories that I share in the book. And as a result of that, you can say that our own goddess capacities or our own higher consciousness or our own higher self becomes activated, takes charge, and the 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 old stories of victimhood or needing to be um, an aggressor or um, um, those extremes can calm down and we can live somewhere in the middle with assertive, bold, um, empowered uh, sense of self from within. So the goddess in my book uh, ranges from mythological characters to potential divine existence. I leave it to the readers the, they want, the way they want to interpret it because this is a non-religious book. But ultimately, I invite readers to connect with their goddess potential within, which is deeply powerful yet feminine. And it's feminine because it's ultimately collaborative. It ultimately leads to harmony. It ultimately leads to greater peace and prosperity, though a true goddess-like person will not shrink in calling a spade a spade and may even need to take on their fierce Durga avatar, if need be, to face unrighteousness and face darkness um, directly. Yeah, and it's so empowering too. I mean, I have this vision of the world where everybody connected with their divine self and everybody took care of their needs and then worked on helping other people take care of their needs. The world would be a different place, but we have this ability to connect with our divine self, which I think is why this book is so incredibly powerful. So let's take a look at each of these goddesses. Can, so can you tell us again the name? So I know it's um, there's Durga, there is, I should I should read the book here. And there's Lakshmi Durga, who I'm familiar with, but I wasn't familiar with the third. And Saraswati. And um, Saraswati. So tell us uh, who each of these goddesses are and what are the divine qualities that they embody, that we can, by learning about them, by connecting with that part of ourselves, embody as well. So start with, I guess, uh, Lakshmi. Lakshmi is is the goddess of love, of self-love. Yeah. So Durga, maybe I'll start with Durga, uh, because that's how the book starts too, though we can start anywhere, really. But uh, Durga is the goddess of formidable power. And she lives in each one of us. Durga is not just a Hindu name. Durga is these alphabets connected together mean um, the the door opener. Like, you know, she opens those inner doors. And when we open those inner doors or life circumstances force us to open those inner doors, each one of us has become a raging Durga. And then we then then we give birth to Me Too movements, and we we give birth to um, you know these strong uh, women worldwide. And I share their stories from different cultures in the book who 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 spoke up and who rose against oppression, and they said that's enough, and things are going to change. And uh, so Durga is the goddess who teaches us to lead a life not from stereotypical scripts because in her own mythology she 
she changes often. And I, and I used to uh, lament the fact that we were asked as a woman, I was asked to be predictable. And, and I want to be predictable only to me, but I want to remain unpredictable to everybody else. I, I don't want to stick to any one norm or silo and be a certain person. Uh, you know, a good girl or a, or a naughty girl or a, or a virgin, holy virgin, or this tempstress and adulteress. So I wanted to be this person who can be anything and anyone, and that's what we see Durga do. She's also considered the divine mother of male gods. So in a sense, she's empowering the male gods. She's not borrowing power from them. So I really like that about Durga. Lakshmi is the goddess of wealth and abundance and love and fertility and everything beautiful that we can connect with a goddess. But I looked at her mythology and I pointed out how once in her own story, Lakshmi was to begin with devalued by some people that she was making happy. But because she's a goddess, unlike us women who put up with it and put up with it and keep pleasing the very people who don't please us, Lakshmi walked away with her head held high and she withdrew all her privileges that she had once given in innocence and beauty. And because of her self-valuing herself, her power, her powers of abundance and fertility and beauty grew. And as a result, she became a world mother, uh, granting us wealth, abundance, riches, luxuries, beauty, gems, ornaments, and everything that a heart can desire on this earth. So I wanted to, while the Hindu tradition loves to point out that let's just go to Lakshmi and besiege her for everything that's one, worth having in the world, I wanted to point out that the reason she became this great goddess was because she walked away from where she was not being valued. That self-value is the key to unlocking abundance and love and um, and such things in the world. So how do we find that self-value? I know one of the issues that when I'm working with midlife women or they're always talking about is how do I value myself? I think a lot of midlife women are feeling like I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not attractive enough, I'm not young enough, I'm not thin enough. How do we use and embody this energy of Lakshmi to truly value ourselves and realize that really that's our greatest wealth is to feel deep within our pores that we really are enough. I think a relationship with a goddess will be very helpful. If we imagine her as, um, um, as mother, then we are her daughters or her children. If we imagine her as a friend, as a guide, then we definitely belong to something more supreme than the devalued self that we think we are. And if we, and in, from the non-dual paradigm of the Vedas that I teach, then we are the sleeping goddess ourselves. And so then we must bring a more spiritual value to ourself. And I like to tell my students how even a blade of grass is valuable in this entire existence. We really cannot remove a blade of grass from this known existence, known universe. The whole universe will have to move with that blade of grass. Everything has inherent value and you have that value period. And this self-value alone can lead to self-love, but that self-love that 
that is taught today is it needs to be, we need to remind, and I try to do that through my book and through my oral teachings is that Lakshmi also demonstrates boundaries. She also demonstrates self-protection and self-prioritizing. And these are the aspects of self-love. Self-love is not just uh, an emotion, a sentiment that comes and goes and changes based on how others perceive you. But if you truly love yourself, you will know that you are valuable, period, despite your learning curves, despite your um, you know, goof-ups, despite your stupidity, despite your wrinkles and aging. You are valuable, so valuable that the universe cannot exist without you, period. And because of this value, you will protect this valuable entity that you are. And the boundaries need not be of weapons, but they can be of flowers and aromas and clarity of thinking and priorities. And this is the way to exhibit self-love. And I believe that in the Lakshmi section of the book and through my teachings, I bring forward that and instill it in people that they, uh, uh, you know, that they really start valuing themselves. And I've had students who were, um, you know, maybe not, not not leading the life they deserve to lead. And then they went shopping and bought new cushions and new clothes. And you may think this is so material and so simple, but it was it was profound because they moved from this self-loathing and this non-self-worth space to a place of creating their life like an altar and learning to say no and yes as an act of, of love, self-love and self-priority. And finally, Saraswati is the goddess of peace. And uh, the Hindu tradition that I grew up with are quick to quote how we should beseech this goddess of peace. But I looked deeper into her mythology and I found that her peace had been interrupted by her own spouse, where she was made to feel invisible uh, in a patriarchal setup. Uh, apparently functioning uh, well and nicely in the heavens. And uh, what did this goddess do? She was mostly a silent goddess lost in her own contemplations and meditations, but she spoke up and she called a spade a spade, albeit peacefully. And then she withdrew her energies into what she prioritized to be important, which is awakening and um, self-inquiry and um, the pursuit of wisdom and intuition. And that is why she continues to play the music that she's shown to be playing peacefully, lost in her own inner silence. And so in the book, I point out how the way to peace is not by bypassing the problems in our life and pretending that all is well, and both Ellen and Dr. Carrie will agree, but really in... Um, in, in facing them and discerning, like, what import do I give these things? And do they really have that level of importance in my life? Or are they really minimal? Uh, is it a minor issue? Or is it a major issue? And what is more important here, the self or the noise around me? And that is why that is how she returns to her silence. And I wanted to write this book in, in conclusion, I will say, it is being called the Vedic Feminist Manifesto, the first of its kind. I wanna say that feminism for me begins with self-value, self-love, self-recognition, and 
and these kind of teachings I provide here, not just about standing up to men or a male culture, androgynous culture, but really standing true to what you believe in. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about Oh, my, my goodness, you are so incredibly inspiring. And what I love about it is that, you know, you take the specificity of the teachings that you grew up with and love of this teaching and the understanding of it, but, but it is universal. There's no one can read this book. It doesn't matter if you don't know anything about Hinduism and about any of these goddesses. It's stories that are relatable that I almost feel it's like you, you know, you're like eating these breadcrumbs and connecting with these goddesses and connecting with a part of you as you see them overcoming trauma and, you know, all of the persecution. It's it's a very, very empowering book. I highly recommend it. I'm going to hold it up for those of you who are watching. It's Roar Like a Goddess. Gorgeous book. So well written too. Very entertaining. Every Woman's Guide to Becoming Unapologetically Powerful, Prosperous, and Peaceful. I promise you, if you do the meditations, I mean, you give lots of things that people can actually do. Meditations, visualizations, ways of connecting with these archetypes which all of us have inside of you that will transform your life. Well, I know I'm looking forward to diving deeper myself in your book. Thank you for sharing. We're going to take a little bit of a break. And then when we come back, we're going to keep on our theme of talking about stories, but we're really going to talk about how changing your story around your health and your well-being can actually change your health and well-being. So stick with us. We're going to take a little break. I'm Dr. Ellen of the Midlife Whisperer. Thanks for listening. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Midlife can be challenging. You may be sandwiched between growing kids and aging parents, dealing with menopause and trying to find work-life balance. Or maybe your life looks good on the outside, but inside you're feeling stressed and overwhelmed and wondering how to get your confidence and joy back. You need someone to help you get real, discover who you are, and navigate life. Hi, I'm Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer, and I'm here to help. I've worked with hundreds of midlife women, went from surviving to thriving at midlife myself, and literally wrote the book on this pivotal time period, Rock Your Midlife, Seven Steps to Transform Yourself and Make Your Next Chapter Your Best Chapter. Think of me as the one-stop shop for all your midlife needs. I'm a psychologist, nutritionist, and board-certified health and wellness coach with 30 years of experience empowering midlife women. I provide nutrition consults, life coaching, and free resources to help you transform your body, your mind, your career, and your relationships. Feeling stuck? I can help you figure out how to live authentically with joy, passion, and purpose. Every Wednesday here on Voice America, live from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, I share my passion for making the most of midlife and my expertise on the most pressing midlife issues from changing family relationships, managing stress, and securing enough resources to rediscovering yourself. I also interview experts from around the world to help you navigate your life. For more information, please visit my website, themidlifewhisperer.com, for fabulous resources, including my free gift, 10 Tips to Rock Your Midlife. That's themidlifewhisperer.com. 
Hope to see you there soon. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Rock Your Midlife with Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Have a question for Dr. Ellen or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5788. That's 866-472-5788. Now back to the show. Here again is Dr. Ellen, the Midlife Whisperer. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rock Your Midlife. I'm so happy that you are here. I hope you are enjoying today's show as much as I am. I have to say, I am hot. And it's not from hot flashes. It's because these two amazing women that I'm talking with today are on fire and really helping us to change our stories, reclaim who we are. So now we're going to shift gears. We're going to talk to Dr. Carrie Jaranowski, and she is a registered nurse. She's a wellness coach. She's an educator, an inspirational speaker, and she is author of Reclaim Your Story, Renew Your Health and Wellness Through the Power of Storytelling, another powerful book that really delves into how changing your story will change your life. Welcome to Rock Your Midlife, Dr. Carrie. So awesome to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, it's so great to have you here. But so before we launch into how people can reclaim their story and use that to transform their health and wellness, I know you've got a question for Shuna. So go ahead and fire away. Absolutely. Thanks. So um, obviously, both of us feel that storytelling is powerful, right? I mean, that's, that's the part of the title of my book. And that really is what resonated in the first half of this show from you, Shunya. So can you tell me where you think the power of storytelling comes from or why it is so powerful? I think life is is a bouquet of stories. The world is nothing but stories and more stories. Mm -hmm. And history is stories, mythology is stories, our imagination weaves stories. And we really begin one story and end another story and then begin another one. Now, then the then the crucial um, thing here would be, and you can expound more upon, would be then the art of storytelling and the art of weaving the story from different attributes of our life. Mm-hmm. And also knowing which stories to pay attention to and which stories to let go. And diffuse back into the universe. The universe has, the universe has lots of space to um, dissolve the stories and help birth new ones. So I think this capacity is honed in you, in me, and some of us, and we benefit from it. And for a while, Dr. Carey, I had lost my way. I'd lost. I was lost inside my story. And that's when I use the goddess stories to rebirth a new story. I hope that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And you can really, you can hear how the stories of your youth have really recording stopped you and have propelled your journey right throughout this universe. And, and that's just, it's beautiful to see how 
Um, you know, the stories that you were told as a child really coming to recording in progress as an adult. And that that's absolutely beautiful. And and I think, you know, that's that's a large part of of my book and what I tried to communicate as well is that we have this this uh, unique power as humans to share stories Um, not only with others, right? Like we've been storytelling for ages since we were writing on cave walls and and we still continue to to storytell. I mean, that's why we have podcasts and we write books and and (laughs) do interviews and things like that, right? Is because we want to share our stories with other in in hopes to either entertain or educate or usually both of those. Um, Where where I like to focus in on, at least in the in the beginning part of this journey, is is that story that we're telling ourselves. And and I heard a lot of these themes resonating in in the conversation leading up to this point as well. That um, you know, Ellen, you were you were talking about how when you work with uh, women or folks in their midlife, they feel they're not thin enough, they're not good enough, they haven't accomplished enough in their career, and that is just this repetitious storyline that they are telling themselves throughout their life. And it isn't until we have this awakening moment to, I'm telling myself I'm not thin enough. (laughs) Why am I telling myself that? Like, where is this coming from? And once we have that awakening, then we can try to start and massage that story a little bit so that it's one that can positively benefit us rather than negatively impact our being and who we are in this moment. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it really comes down to first acknowledging the power of storytelling and understanding that story is what makes us human. Absolutely. When you know, when we take a look where people evolved tens of thousands of years ago, we didn't have writing. We didn't obviously have any of the technological ways of communicating, but we did have stories. So mm-hmm. people would pass story from you know from generation to generation to generation. As you said, it is entertainment. It's self definition. So I'm curious. So I have my own ideas, but why do you think, especially for women at midlife, and I think it's a lot of you know what Shuna was saying about this patriarchal idea of making us feel crappy about ourselves so that we can feel bad about ourselves and we buy stuff. We're in this consumerist culture. I think that's a big reason that we we are told these stories about ourselves or how we should feel. But what do you think, why do you think we we are, keep telling ourselves these negative disempowering stories? Well, we may have heard it externally, right? We may have heard, you know, growing up through our youth, some people have had not great childhood. Some people have had not great relationships. So externally, we may have heard some of these things, but really it boils down to how have we internalized that and what do we keep telling ourselves? So for example, you know, I, I teach in post-secondary and you would not believe the, these, these critical self-beliefs that students come to post-secondary with, you know, they, they will just admit, I can't do math. I'm not good at it. I can't do it or I can't write, or I can't get up in front of, you know, my class and do a presentation. I just can't do it. Well, <laughs> so there's some opportunity for learning and growth there. I, I, I don't believe you can't do it, but for some reason you believe you can't do it. So let's stop. Let's catch that thought in action and let's start 
thinking about, well, where is some opportunity for learning and growth in this? How can we massage that a little bit to say to ourselves? I may not be the best at math, but I do have an opportunity to learn algebra today for the next 40 minutes. <laughs> right? So, so chunking that up into, into these little micro interventions so that we can demonstrate success to ourselves. And as we start demonstrating this success to ourselves, whether it's math, whether it's working out, whether it's meditating, whether it's volunteering in your community, whether it's not being irritable or being a little bit less of a jerk, um, you know, once we start chipping away at that, we can then in turn start building our self-efficacy. And our self-efficacy basically just boils down to the belief in ourselves that we can actually accomplish something or we can do something or that we can change. So, so it doesn't matter if you, your goal is to run a 10K or if your goal is to be um, more present in your relationship. We have to have the belief in ourselves that we can actually grow and change to be able to meet that goal or make some forward progress toward that goal. So, so we really, the, the whole crux of my book is we're not going to be able to achieve, to achieve sustainable behavior change unless we take that huge step back and listen to what we're telling ourselves. And this is hard because, you know, some people will be like, yeah, I listened to my self-talk for 10 minutes this morning. I'm good. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a 10 minute. I'm going to check that off the to-do list. It's a conscious awareness in your daily routine to be mindful of what you're telling yourself and to be perceptive of whatever, you know, props you give yourself or whatever microaggressions you offer to yourself as well. So, you know, if you step out of the shower in the morning and you look in the mirror and you go and turn away, that's a microaggression. That's you reinforcing the belief in yourself that you're not good enough, you're not thin enough, you're not strong enough, you've got wrinkles whatever the case may be, right? So having this awakening, this awareness with intentionality throughout your day, throughout your life, not 10 minutes, not just one day, is really the, the birth of any kind of sustainable behavior change that you want to embrace in your life. Yeah, it all starts with intention setting, right? What you intend to do and um, also really being aware of the power of your thoughts and your words. You know, Absolutely. just, a, you, you know, drawing from a different canon, you know, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So it's like your word is what you are speaking into existence. If you go and you say, I can't lose weight, or, you know, I can't quit smoking. I know when I start working with people, it's like you work, I'm sure you're familiar with the trans theoretical model of change, right? Mm -hmm. Are you at a place where I can't, I won't? How do we get over that place? And I think, you know, you talk about this in the book that, you know, I think shame really keeps us stuck because shame is this really deep um, feeling of, um, I'm bad. You know, embarrassment is like, okay, I did something bad. You can feel, you know, bad about yourself, but shame really keeps you stuck. And it's almost like, well, I don't even want to try this thing because I'm, I'm ashamed of how much I yeah. failed or I'm afraid I'm going to fail again. So if someone's feeling these really difficult emotions of shame and not good enough and even fear of moving forward, how do we, how do we use storytelling? How do we reclaim our story and kind of wipe off this shame that so many 
people face? Shame and fear are these two huge negative emotions that basically communicate to your internal self that you're not worthy. You're not worth change. You're not, achi- you're not worth achieving that goal. So how can we work through that fear and that shame to get you to a space where you do feel worthy of, you know, attempting a behavior change, no matter what that might be? So, so fear is, fear is a big one. Like it's a really huge negative emotion that basically kind of reins us in. It holds us back from any kind of forward progress. And, and I talk about fear a lot in my book. Um, and fear is, is quite prevalent in our society right now. And, and fear is one of the reasons why we have the anxiety problem that we have across the lifespan. Um, you know, you know it's not things. it's not our fault though too because we have a negativity bias so our brains are hardwired to see the danger Absolutely. what could go wrong we've got this lizard brain the amygdala you know in the back of our brain which is the you know it's gonna kill me I better like duck and cover fight freeze or um, or flee and then we've got this default mode network that's running down the middle of our brains which is constantly scanning our environment for self-definition so I know for me when I work with people the the biggest thing I tell people immediately is got to work on your mindfulness because when you're in the present moment you turn off those yes. fears the that need you you're, you become in the present moment and that's where you have agency Absolutely. Because usually what happens is people hold fear because they're worried and anxious about something in the future, a future event, right? So you're worried about what your boss is going to say. You're worried you're going to, you're going to fail in parenting, you know, whatever the case may be. So, so worry and fear typically is found with that future thinking. So you're right. Like if you can stay in the present moment, if you can be mindful, you can let go of some of that fear. Now that that is so much easier said than done. I have I have suffered from panic attack, which basically is a fear of fear, and or morphs into a fear of fear. And it it was probably one of the most um, emotional, painful uh, barriers to get over that fear of fear. It is it. <laughs> I can't even describe it. But once you get over that, it's like. Oh, there's so much joy in this life that you can just embrace. It's beautiful. Yeah, I feel Um, the exhilaration in your voice. And I know it's always so much. I tell people, you know, if you're listening and you're experiencing fear, it's feel it, name it, you tame it. So first name, this is fear. Just becoming aware, telling fear, you know, sit in the backseat of the car, but you're not driving. Then feel it, you heal it. Feel it in your body. It is interesting yeah. because fear and excitement are very similar physiologically. So you can reinterpret Absolutely. the fear and go, okay, my heart's racing. Like I'm getting ready to go to Costa Rica and I'm going to do a three, four white river rafting. And I'm a little fearful. I'm going to go zip lining. I'm a little fearful. But I know once I dive in and reinterpret it, it's going to be like exhilaration. It's excitement and just, you know, and also thanking the fear. You know, saying, Absolutely. thank you so You're much safe. for trying to support me and trying to keep me safe, but an understanding that we're hardwired to fear for fear because, again, tens of thousands of years ago, if you didn't have fear, if that saber-toothed tiger was about to eat you and you didn't like run up that tree or do something, you were going to die. But now we're constantly bombarded by fears and things. And in particular, I want to get a little bit into the media 
certainly is constantly showing us mainstream media if it leads it if it bleeds it leads yes, so constantly absolutely. getting us in fear whether it's about the virus whether it's about the war or whether it's about politics um all yeah. kinds of fears and and it's i'm always amazed when i meet people who have the tv on constantly in the background this constant wallpaper of fear so do you feel that social media contributes how we feel about ourselves it feeds into these fears and you know what role does social media and, and media in general play in terms of us and our stories? Yeah, and social media is kind of a double, double-edged sword because, like you say, it feeds into people's fears, right? We, we live in the safest era ever in humanity. We really do. Um, but yet, if you turn on the news, you feel very unsafe. It, feeds into that amygdala, right? That whole process. Um, so, so limiting media and limiting social media is really a great strategy to help you let go of that fear. But the other thing that social media does is it just puts up this, um, uh, this air of unrealistic expectations for everyone. You, it, it makes you feel as though everyone has a flat stomach. Everybody is a wonderful mom that's crafting in their basement until two o'clock in the morning and sending their children off to school with beautiful, you know, birthday treats and things like that. Like that's not realistic. And we can't have that bar there. What we have to do is go back to who are we? What are our goals? And how can I strive to meet them rather than looking at everybody else in this world and their goals and how they're striving to meet them? Those really don't matter. To, to me, what matters is, okay, I have a goal of increasing my strength. How am I going to do that? Now, I may look on YouTube or go to the ACE video library to find more exercises to help me in a certain area of strength training that I need help with. But I'm not going to sit there and scroll through Instagram reels because it's going to send me into a spiral of I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not thin enough. I don't belong in a gym. Those aren't my people, et cetera. Right. So, it, again, it feeds into that storyline that you may be telling yourself of I'm not fill in the blank. Yeah, I love that you talked about that. I mean, that really is all about self-compassion. I'm sorry, social comparison and how it really is the thief of joy. When we compare ourselves to others, we feel like we fall short and we feel like everybody is living perfect lives except for us. It's this piece of... of um, self-compassion of common humanity, realizing that no, everybody is, we're all kind of bozos on the bus. We're all trying to figure it out. We all make mistakes. We're all fail, you know, fail. We all have, you know, flabby stomachs, menopause is something that most people in female bodies are going to go through. And then we don't feel so alone. So let's talk. We have a couple moments left before we bring Shuna back on to ask you a question, but I love that you talk about, um, health and wellness is more than diet and exercise. You know, I have been a, a dietitian. This year will be 30 years. I've been a board certified health and wellness coach for a while, been coaching for about 15. And, you know, I used to, it used to be all about like diet and exercise. I was a personal fitness trainer. I was a clinical nutritionist, but now it's so much more. The beautiful thing I find is that when people work holistically in everything, they work on mindset, they work on working with emotions, they work on spirits, they work on improving their lives. 
the the weight goals and those kinds of things, the fitness goals just magically start to happen because people are so happy. So what can we do in you know, 30 seconds or so to reinterpret the goals and get away from just diet and exercise? Yeah. Let go of, let go of that because you're exactly right. Once you get your head in the game, once you get a positive um, outlook on yourself, once you support your own self-efficacy, and once you find your value, those other things fall into place. And really, it probably infuriates people in my book when I, when I talk about this in my book, because really, I go back to the basics. Eat real food, avoid processed food, move more, sit less, period. Because once you start um, integrating all of these other dimensions of wellness and all of these other interventions to support your own self-efficacy and your self-worth, those things will naturally fall into place and you'll get there and you will just, again, you will find joy and, and you will find your well-being. Yeah. I know for me, a big change was being well because you love yourself, not because you loathe yeah. your body. You want to change. So yeah. I know that, um, Shunya has a question for you. So just to bring you back on, you know, if you want to, um, ask Dr. Carrie a question. I'm so inspired listening to you. And I was wondering, what inspired you to change your story oh. and read the rest of us? And this may be a bit of a big question to ask, but any thoughts you might want to That's a great question. And I think it really parallels your journey. Um, I was in a space where I didn't think highly of myself. I was suffering from panic attacks. I was generally unwell and I was trying to meet the needs of everyone else and um, sorely not meeting my needs. And once I had the realization that when I took care of myself, the other stuff fell into place and I was able to be my own person, my own real person who I am, um, that really just opened so many doors. Like I, I've seen, I see so many parallels between our stories and, and the stories that you share in your book. Um, of opening doors, finding your true self, and just being brave enough to share that true self with the universe. It, it, it's just, it's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, it's so amazing. I was so excited when I realized you guys, I could have you guys on together because I thought this is what what my part of my passion is, is just bringing amazing women on who, you know, this parallels, you both come from different environments, different countries, different places, yet your stories are very, very similar that yeah. I think that the whole journey is about becoming who we truly are on the deepest level. So thank you both so much for sharing who you are and your truth and being brave enough to write these books and inspire other people. I would say, gosh, my my takeaways are, yeah, just to continuously... Um, question stories that we tell ourselves and have the agency and feel empowered enough to stand up to the powers that be that tell us that it's not okay. So I just want to say the books again, we have Dr. Carrie Jurosinski's book, Reclaim Your Story. Awesome book. That is a really new way of um, getting in touch from your health and wellness by changing your story. And then um, Shara Shuna's book, Roar Like a Goddess, Every Woman's Guide to Becoming Unapologetic, Powerful, Prosperous, and Peaceful, both super, super powerful books. Real quickly, um, Shuna, where can people connect with you? Awakenself.com is my website. They can also type in my name anywhere and they'll find me. 
Okay, perfect. And Dr. Carrie, where can people find you? Uh, I am on Facebook and Instagram at Bold Contentment. And I also have a website, boldcontentment.com. And you can just Google mine or put my name into the search engine on Amazon to find my book as well. Perfect. And all that information about where to find you guys and Google you is in the show notes. So thank you both so much for being here. This was such a pleasure and a joy for me. This has been my this is my year of more joy, less oy. So you have contributed to that. Thank you all so much for being here and listening. I hope you have gotten value today. If you have a suggestion for a show or comments, feel free to reach out at themidlifewhisper.com. That's themidlifewhisper.com. We'll catch you next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Rock Your Midlife. We hope this episode has helped you get real, discover who you are, and get the tools to navigate your life. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week and go rock your midlife.